Hey, have you signed your SkyWest AFA authorization card yet? In order for us to be able to vote to establish our SkyWest Flight Attendant Union, the majority of us, 50% plus one, must sign authorization cards. Our union will provide us with job protections we don't have now and an enforceable contract containing improvements to pay and work rules that we vote to approve. Order your pre-stamp cards and get more information about what our union will look like at ooitstime.com. Coming up on It's Time Live, we chat with the author of the book, The Great Stewardess Rebellion, Nell McShane Wolfhart. Her book is a captivating narrative set in the 1960s and 70s and chronicles the journey of stewardesses who utilized the momentum of the feminist and labor movements to transform what was considered one of America's most sexist workplaces. The story focuses on their fight against discriminatory practices in the airline industry, such as age and marriage restrictions, and their struggle for respect and equality. This rebellion marked a significant step in the fight for women's rights and reshaped the airline industry, turning a short-term job into a potential career and propelling a predominantly female union into a formidable force against discrimination and sexism. It's all coming up, so stay tuned. That's why we vote my AFA. That's why we vote my AFA. So welcome to the It's Time Live podcast. I'm Galen David from the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, here with the nine-year SkyWest flight attendant and SkyWest AFA activist, Shane Price, and a special guest, Nell McShane Wolfhart author of the ultra-inspiring story of how stewardesses stood together and changed the skies forever, the great stewardess rebellion. And I will throw it over to Shane. Uh, thank you, Galen. We are so excited today to have Nell with us. Uh, Nell is from Philadelphia, but currently based in Switzerland. She's a former New York Times colonist and frequent contributor. She also writes for Travel and Leisure, Bon Appetit, uh, Condé Nast, Traveler, The Wall Street Journal, and Team Magazine, just to name a few of many. Uh, today, as Galen mentioned, we're here to talk about The Great Stewards Rebellion. For anyone who hasn't read it, it is, as Galen said, an incredible history of how stewardesses fought the deeply rooted sexism within the industry and took on, uh, took their union representation out of the hands of men uh, and set their own destiny. Now, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we have been uh, just on Cloud9 talking about the possibility of you coming uh, to share with us. Um, if we could just get started, a few um, questions we have. Uh, what is kind of like your background? We're curious to see what kind of led you to this content and this topic and to write this book. Uh, before I wrote this book, I was a travel journalist for maybe like 15 years. Uh, I was freelance, but I had that column in the Times. I wrote for fancy travel magazines. Um, and I came across this story when I actually interviewed somebody. Uh, his name is Adam Conover. He had a television show that was sort of like kind of myth busted, like different ideas. And he did an episode on the golden age of travel. So basically just talked about like the way we think about, you know, Don Draper drinking champagne in first class and these beautiful uniforms and everything. And then how there was this like incredibly depressing <laughs> undercurrent of like sexism and weigh-ins and sexual harassment and everything. And he really like myth busted it. And he pointed out that the actions that the stewardesses took in the 1960s and 70s 
they really made change like for the whole airline industry and also for like all American women in the workplace. And I actually said to him during the interview, I was like, mm, that sounds like it would make a great book. <laughs> and I just sort of like scurried off and wrote it. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, it did make a really great book and you did an amazing job at writing it. It seems like there was a lot of um, research and interviewing, just like a breadth of and depth of information. How long did the whole process take? How, um, what was the whole process? Um, well, with any nonfiction book, you have to write like a proposal. Usually it's around like 50 pages and it's an outline and it has research in it and you've already done a bunch of interviews. So that probably took about six months. And you do all that work before you even sell the book. So you have no idea if anyone is gonna be even remotely interested in it before you spend those six months working on it. Um, and then I think after that, it took about another year and a half. So yeah, lots of research, but also just like, you know, lots of conversations with flight attendants, which was obviously the best part. <laughs> uh, the, um, well, two of the main, uh, advocates in your book are Pat and Tommy. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like them, what, what it was like to kind of talk with Pat, to interview Pat, and also the same question for Tommy. Um, they're just such fascinating people. Uh, Pat's, it seems like Pat's life story alone is just incredibly interesting and fascinating. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Um, I did another interview with a different podcast and the woman interviewing me said, first thing she said was, I would die for Pat Gibbs. <laughs> yes, um, me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it was just so, it was such a, like a fun experience getting to know both Pat and Tommy. Uh, Pat became a flight attendant in the early 60s. Um, she was at, you know, the American Airlines, uh, you know, stewardess school, the Charm Farm. And she basically went from having her biggest ambition being a stewardess supervisor at American Airlines to becoming what I would say is like a professional pain in the ass. <laughs> a militant union organizer, um, someone who like fought the company at every turn, did everything she could to get the workers more rights, more money, more benefits, everything. Um, her whole her whole life kind of flipped once she realized all the injustices that she and her fellow stewardesses were facing in the 60s. Um, and yeah, she didn't retire all that long ago. Right now she's in her early 80s and she's still working as a labor lawyer. Yeah, I remember that at the end of the book, she went to law school. You covered on how that, which was also very inspiring. Like the whole story is so inspiring. She is one of the coolest people, I think, that has ever, you know, been on earth. <laughs> You know, you should have her on the podcast. Like, she's great to talk to. She's just like, I, what I really wanted for the book was not to tell so much of like a history, but to make it really character driven because, you know, the people are, they were who, is, who were doing all this work. And I feel like with Pat and Tommy, I found like two like really great characters um, whose personalities are just so compelling and whose personal histories are so interesting. Um, and the work they did, uh, you know, as organizers was just like so um, game changing. Yeah. Right. And to bring up the the telling it through their stories, uh, I loved that so much that that was kind of the direction you went. You told history, but you actually told kind of their their life stories and it was through their lens. Not only did it make it really personable, but their stories as flight attendants were incredibly relatable. There was individual experiences they had, like Pat gets 
in trouble for taking her white gloves off on the employee shuttle, not even somewhere where there are passengers, or for riding her motorcycle to work. And we've all had those moments as flight attendants where we were disciplined for something ridiculous. Or, um, you know, and, and like Pat, we all kind of left training feeling like, okay, you know, they sold us this narrative of we're all family and we're all pro company. And then you get out there and these little things happen and it's kind of a, a game changer for you. You kind of, you, you know, the, the mask gets pulled off. And so many of our, their experiences were as a flight attendant, I was like, yep, that, that really resonates. So I really appreciated the telling it through their lens. And also it showed that change to me, at least it showed that change doesn't happen on its own like it is actual people who are fighting and fighting over again right our listeners can't see me but i am nodding enthusiastically at everything that shane is saying <laughs> yeah. I, I just really love the aspect and for me like it, it was it, i haven't been involved in a lot of uh you know seeing massive change happen and it can be easy to think that either uh, something legal changes the game or public opinion, but really it comes down to people pushing to get laws changed and then pushing to get those laws enforced, which is what this book taught me and what I really appreciated about it. It kind of showed everything that goes in. A hundred percent. Like all those, the, all the court cases that like, there are people behind those. Like every time a worker, you know, puts a foot out of line, like they're putting their whole livelihood at risk. And yeah, that's as true now as it was back in the 60s and 70s when um, when what I think of as my flight attendants <laughs> were taking action. Yeah, it's really, the, I mean, the, the bravery of, of people who do this sort of thing is, is always really inspiring. Yeah, it was yeah, a very inspiring book. Now, while we're talking about Pat and Tommy, I am curious uh, what your take is on, like they both had very different approaches. Pat was more of a brute force and Tommy was more of like a diplomat, I suppose you could say. Maybe you could correct me if you have a different opinion, but um, what was kind of your take on those approaches? Is one better than the other? That's a great question. So Tommy is sort of my other lead character in the book. She started in the 70s uh, working at American Airlines. And while she was also an organizer and someone who was really believed in social justice, um, she yeah she took a different approach like pat's approach to making change at the airline and through the union was always like push 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 and tommy was much more of a like if we all get together we can talk about this we can figure it out although she was not you know by any stretch of the imagination a pushover she just took a more like you said a diplomatic approach and whether one is better than the other honestly i think it's a matter of timing you know there are points that when you talk and there are points that when you fight or strike or if in Pat's case, jump up on the table wearing a full gorilla suit. <laughs> um, like it really depends on timing. It's really hard to say if one is better than the other. You know, sometimes the talking just doesn't doesn't work. Yeah, that's a great point. I think um, it was a good uh, depiction of how so many people's different talents come to play. And you kind of need a variety of different approaches and talents. At our union drive, I can say, um, not only do we have so many diversity of talents and depth of talents, but a lot of our flight attendants are like second career. You know, they spent 20 years with their own business or in management or as realtors or salesmen or raising families. And so I look at our union drive now and 
Everyone has so many different strengths and abilities. Seeing them come together to the whole and what we can accomplish with the diversity of approaches and talent we have has been extremely inspiring. I think that's I think that's an excellent point. Is that like you really need all the points of view and they're like the, all the different abilities and skills. And just when you're saying that a lot of people, you know, these days come to work as a flight attendant as a second career. I was just thinking like in the time period that of my book in the 60s and 70s, like that was not an option. Like that is literally the story I'm telling in the book is like how they changed the the age limit. And like, you know, when Pat started, you couldn't, you know, if you got married, you would be fired. If you got pregnant, you would be fired. And if you managed to avoid doing either of those things, you'd be fired when you turned 32 years old. So like even the fact that flight attendants today can join, you know, as like a second career after 20 years doing something else is literally thanks to the people that I wrote the book about, which is like, it's a nice reminder for me. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. It really is pretty wild to see um, the work they did. And even as a man uh, who's used, who historically has had few barriers based on my gender, um, knowing that it was them, like I wouldn't be a flight attendant if they, these women who had lots of barriers placed on them, like if they hadn't fought those barriers, like in the book, you cover the men. And uh, I was kind of nervous. I was like, are they going to be really annoyed when the men are finally allowed to come into the cabin? But they welcomed it because it gave them an opportunity to fight the sexism, right? If you're not requiring men to wear makeup, you can't require us to wear makeup. That's exactly right. Like the fact that men can work as flight attendants, that they could start working as flight attendants in the 70s was also down to these women because um, the airlines at that point did not want to hire men. They only wanted young, conventionally attractive, mostly white women. They did not want men working on the airplanes. And the fact that men can become flight attendants was, yeah, mostly down to, to the women in the book. Exactly. Yeah, so exciting. Yeah, me and Galen have been, flight, you know, flight attendants, and that's all thanks to these incredible women. Um, speaking of those uh, really um, archaic rules and the things they had to go through, um, a lot of uh, the um, egregious work conditions, like I had known about or heard about like the weigh-ins or the age ceiling, um, however, a lot of the things in the book I was completely unaware of. For example, for me, the most egregious and horrifying were the girdle checks. One, not only they were required to wear girdles, but that any supervisor at any time was uh, could just physically touch them to check to see if they were wearing a girdle. And the notion that your supervisor, your employer could physically feel you and touch you was just beyond the pale for me i haven't been able to stop i haven't i've never i've never been able to stop thinking about how just egregious that is i'm curious in your research as you're coming across all of these things was there any one thing for you that was just the most shocking or the most horrifying um well the, the girdle checks definitely threw me for a loop especially the, the flight attendants said the supervisors were getting what they called a free feel and it wasn't just the stewardess supervisors the pilots could like do a girdle check like literally kind of grope these women to make sure they were wearing a girdle so that was horrifying um, I think for me, the most startling thing was this short-lived idea at American Airlines. I think it was the late 70s, early 80s, when when passengers were getting off the plane, the flights to Hawaii, the flight attendants had to kiss them on the cheek. And of course, a lot of the men would like turn their face at the last moment to like catch the flight attendant on the mouth, like fully kiss her on the mouth. And uh, there's a great photo in the book of Pat being kissed by a passenger. 
and like her arms are just down at her sides and she's standing like ramrod straight and it's just so uncomfortable to look at that photo but the fact that they would have to physically kiss passengers as they left the plane was like appalling well there was that and also the um southwest airlines had a uniform that consisted of hot pants and white lace-up go-go boots um and that the idea of like trying to serve a hot meal to a plane full of passengers wearing hot pants and lace-up go-go boots just like I, I mean i couldn't even fathom it right yeah i just the um the picture you're referencing yeah and in the book i remember seeing that and she looks so uncomfortable and the man is just uh it's very violating i the things that they were just um that the that like it's wild to now today to think that nobody saw a problem with this and in management <laughs> and some of these like egregious ads that reminds me um these this advertising that really sexualized the flight attendants to sell t plane tickets um the one was the one campaign was uh like the person behind it was a woman wasn't it yes uh the airstrip <laughs> the Braniff airlines airstrip this was a an airline that is no longer with us but in the 70s they sort of um they kind of pioneered the idea of like the sexy stewardess and they had ad campaigns that talked about how when you got on the flight the stewardesses would take off their uniforms and they were in these like Emilio Pucci designed fancy uniforms, lots of layers. But as the flight went on, the, the flight attendants would literally remove like a jacket and maybe like a long skirt and maybe like, some other kind of blouse. Like they never got naked, I think, or even close to naked. But even just by calling it the airstrip and having them sort of perform this uh, undressing as the flight went on was just horrifying. <laughs> and that, but that really kicked off like an even more egregious slew of um you know these are like flying playboy bunnies and even today like when i was researching the book um even just to google like flight attendant one of the first things that comes up is like flight attendant porn and that is like you can trace a direct line from these campaigns in the 60s and 70s that were really sexualizing flight attendants to like what you get today it's it's amazing oh right yeah some of those campaigns it well it was interesting how like it seemed like on one hand the company expected them to be pious but also provocative like they were se literally selling like that's how they were filling tickets and then underpaying them like just the whole thing around is just and and there are elements of the industry today that like you're saying you know there are things that flight attendants sexualized back then that you still see today and even within um circles today like i I have heard countless stories of women flight attendants uh, being disciplined for uniform compliance over the most nitpicky or ridiculous things. And I never hear of a man being disciplined for uniform compliance. I never have, and I've never seen, and it's not a matter of sex. It's a matter of, they are not even looking at me to, you know, they're, they're trying to find something when they see a woman. And with me, it seems to not even, really cross their mind hardly at all and some of the you touch in the book about some of like the homophobia and the racism and um when i started uh our hair policy was not inclusive of all races and that was in 2014. and i know it's changed since but i am certain there's still a ways we can go in terms of making it um completely inclusive but yeah some of or there's uh 
some of them, there was like in the mentality in the book they talk about like well the women we don't really need to pay you because you're not supporting a family and which is insane and the, but the men you know and it, even today like when our flight attendants um get off training and they're waiting for their kind of first operating experience that that kind of finalizes their training they could wait one month two months three months and that's all not paid but when the pilots do it that's their pay that time they're paid a guaranteed pay for those months even though they're just kind of in limbo waiting for the company to get instructor and i'm sure it dates back to this mentality of well these pilots are supporting a family so that's why we do it I t I'm sure that's true, and that is so egregious. Um, I mean, it just goes right along with the whole like pay me for boarding campaign, right? Like these people, I mean, the, like the flight attendants are doing so much unpaid labor um, that the pilots are not doing, which is just yeah. Um, it definitely you can you can draw a straight line to, to what was happening in the 60s and yeah. 70s to, to what was ha what's happening now yeah yeah and it's heartbreaking because you know they sacrifice they leave their job they sacrifice their job for this company and then not get paid very well in training and then how are they expected to pay their bills when they've left their previous job and anyway things that we hope to change by organizing and unionizing but um Okay, so there is a lot of talk. This kind of segues perfect in my next question. There's a lot of talk in the book about these flight attendants, especially in the advertising, of being like the chosen few and how special they were. And like we had thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of candidates and we only selected so and so. Um, however, so, so they treat them and they talk about them like they're so special and they're the chosen. However, management's treatment of them does not reflect that at all and it kind of seems to me the 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 saying those things of how special they were and the select two they were is a covert way of saying like you're lucky to be here don't ask for more just be happy with whatever you, we give you would you say there's truth to that what are your thoughts on that oh 100 percent. the the thing that just came to mind that i hadn't thought about before was that it's sort of like working in like a a journalism job today at a prestigious place like they don't pay anything like say the new yorker or something like new yorker famously pays very badly and i don't think the staff writers even have health insurance but like the prestige of having like on staff the new yorker is supposed to compensate for all of that and it was exactly the same as getting hired as a flight attendant like there was a really fabulous ad a print ad it was called presenting the losers and it was just a picture of 19 skinny white women, all conventionally attractive, but looking very glum. And the ad was, I think it was for Delta. And it was just like, you know, we turned down 19 out of every 20 applicants. Like you are, the people who make it are really like, it was really an exclusive job. Like you're the best of the best, but exactly like you said, like that prestige is basically used in lieu of, you know, salaries, <laughs> pensions, <laughs> the benefits, things like that. Exactly, 100%. Um, yeah, and it, I, I imagine there's there's still some of that going on. I mean, it's there is some glamour attached to the job of flight attendant still, I think, right? Right, yeah, totally. And and there's this, in the book, another moment that resonated is um, there is this sort of allure and uh, I think it's Pat who, or it's either Pat or Tom, I can't remember which, maybe it is Tommy, who like the, the, the shimmer wears off. <laughs> Like, like for me, I'm in northern Minnesota uh, and it's 15 degrees below 
and we got in so late that there really isn't anything open to go eat and you're like maybe this wasn't as glamorous as I thought it was gonna be but at the same time it is a phenomenal job and that's why you know we love it and why we're fighting for it and um you know I I absolutely love being a flight attendant there are so many things about it that are terrific um but back to the well like that's kind of used against you like you, you and we're still kind of told today like you're just lucky to be here right and i think we have to change the mentality of like frankly the company's that's a two-way street the company's lucky to have us you chose us out of a whole group of people because you thought we were the most qualified you're fortunate we applied and and you're fortunate that we are you know still here but um Hundred percent. That mentality is interesting. Like the, you know, this is so prestigious that uh, just be happy with what we give you. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So one question I really um, curious about. Uh, a lot of your book covers American Airlines, but it will cover various other airlines. And this history does not reflect well on these airlines. Uh, the way they were so resistant to treating women equally. Um, have you heard anything from American Airlines or spoken to them? Uh, do they resent having kind of this terrible history be brought up? I haven't heard a peep from American Airlines. No, not at all. I mean, it's like, you know, a lawyer reviewed the book. There's nothing in there that is not true. And that is not, you know, it's not like, um, you know, a slander or anything like that. No, I haven't heard anything from American Airlines. Like, uh, you know, the flight attendants, yes. Lots of flight attendants have read the book and written to me and it's been amazing to hear from them, like so great. But no, I haven't heard anything from management. Um, I mean, it's a history, it only, you know, it it, it ends in like the late seventies. Um, so uh, I think maybe there's been enough time and distance. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Um... I bet those letters you get from flight attendants are pretty great. <laughs> you know what? It's amazing. And people tell me their own stories and some of them are like just so appalling and some of them are funny and some of them are touching. Like I love, love, love getting them. Just, um, you know, people who really were fighting the good fight. And like, I just, no one hears these stories. We don't know these stories. People who were like women who were doing this in the 60s and 70s, like pushing back against all these expectations and regulations, going through the most egregious, like sexual harassment. Um, and yeah, like nobody knows about these stories. So it's 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 wonderful to be able to, to hear hear from them. I bet. Um, okay, so your book has been very timely with what's been happening with current events, both in the labor movement abroad. Um, we've seen so much growth there. And also what's happening specifically in the airline world, a lot of movement with flight attendants and APFA. Um, and their recent 99.4 strike vote. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of what's happening across the industry and everywhere, especially with APFA? Um, I am hype. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm too optimistic, but I I just, I love seeing it. I mean, American Airlines has been in negotiations in like 2019, right? Like pre-pandemic, they've been like having these talks and there's been no movement. You know what are you gonna do like it's I, i'm i'm thrilled to see it like with you know with uaw with starbucks with amazon like the, not just the airline industry but like all over the country there really seems to be something happening um and especially in the airline industry like you know it employs so many people like when people go on strike at american airlines like that makes a difference people have to sit up and notice like that sort of and it's huge i think it's impossible to overestimate how 
well, like a landmark thing that is. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm rooting for them. It's wonderful. I think it's really I'm I'm really excited. Um, it was so timely. I mean, for me, I read your book just as I was getting started in our Union Drive, and then I'm reading it, and I'm kind of starting to pay more attention to other uh, flight attendants unions and what they're doing, and now I'm following on on Instagram, and so then I start following APFA's story. And it was really cool to know their roots and their background and how it all started and then see the amazing things they're doing now. They are fighting so hard and I am so proud to be like a flight attendant just on looking and seeing how they're leading the way and leading that charge. Yeah, it's really inspiring. I, I totally agree. Like they are taking big risks and they're making big moves and I don't know, I hope it pays off. Me too. I hope so too. I think it will. Um, what would you say is a key takeaway from all of this when, as far as like activism and making change goes? I think the point that was really made clear to me as I was researching the book and talking to people and writing the book is that um, unions cannot succeed without women. And by honestly, by women, I mean like all marginalized groups. Um, and those marginalized groups cannot succeed without unions. Like, that's it. That's the lesson. Like it, you know, it, it's impossible to move forward without solidarity and community, and the unions are the way to do that. And there's not really going to be an alternative. Like it's sort of that, or you know, let the company decide everything for you. Like that's all there is. So, I think that was my number one takeaway. I absolutely love that. I want to ask one question um, because I keep coming back to this feeling of when somebody tries to make a change and they get all of those disapproving looks like they've done something wrong. You're going away, you're going against the way things have been for so many years, whether it's all the misogyny in, in the company or the culture, or in the case of SkyWest flight attendants, at an airline like SkyWest, they have ingrained into the culture that they're non-union, we're a family, and if you go against that, you've betrayed your family. And in your stories that you shared through your book, you, you're, you're showing us people that felt all that disapproval and that it's crushing. And they still pushed through it and knew what they were going for was right. But they were being, they were being scolded, not only by management, but even by some of their own coworkers who would be benefiting uh, by what they're fighting for. So what do you think fueled these people and gave them the courage to continue to push through all of that? I know it really is extraordinary courage because exactly like you said, like not all the flight attendants were on board with like pushing back against the company and trying to get more benefits. A lot of them are like, I'm only here for a few years. What's a big deal? It's not worth it. Like, why do you always have to make a big deal of everything? Um, yeah, so it's it takes an extraordinary amount of courage to not only fight management, but to like try and bring along these sort of reluctant co-workers at the same time. I think when it came to the people in my book, like it was just so obvious to them that the working conditions were bad and that they were being treated unfairly. And once you see something like that, it's just so hard to unsee it. And then you have two choices, right? You can sit around and complain or you can take action. And these women were about action. Um, but it's funny, Galen, what you were saying about like, you know, the family and like, oh, we're a family here, whatever. Like, 
I think anyone who's even remotely connected to unions these days understands that the word family, when it's used by the company, is like, oh, like no one wants to hear that. But it's also starting to take on the, like sort of like a mafia connotation, like you don't go against the family. <laughs> That's what it's starting to sound like to me, and it feels kind of relatable, right? Yeah, you don't want to mess with the family. Oh, that is yeah, Jane. Jane has definitely dealt with that. He's he he's gotten on the um the uh list of the family <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true um yeah i love that takeaway of women marginalized groups you have got to have them in your organizing and also they've got to have unions and Honestly, I one of my favorite, absolute favorite things about uh, that I've gained from being part of this drive. Uh, I have had women who are my bosses. I've you know multiple times. However, in this union drive, it has been predominantly women leading, and it's kind of been my first time in a space where it's so much women leadership, and it is a game changer. They are thoughtful. They are. Um, consensus-based leadership, uh, a lot of communication. You can um, like speak up without being afraid of being uh, insulted or tamped down and also decisive. I am all for it and uh, I love that that was one of your key takeaways. Uh, it is, we definitely need a lot more women and all marginalized groups represented uh, everywhere. Um, are there any anything else that you wanted to add or um, anything you would like to else you'd like to include? Well, just what you were saying there about like, you know, being in groups now that are like mostly led by women um, and how it feels different. I would even say that it might not be because they're women, but all those qualities that you listed, I think those are more like qualities that flight attendants have, not necessarily women. You know, like you have to be a certain kind of person to be a good flight attendant. You have to be communicative. You have to have consensus. Like you have to know how to deal with difficult people in difficult situations. You have to be prepared for anything. So to me, it's like those some of those skills that you were that you were saying, like this is an interesting and nice thing to experience. I would almost say that that is more due to them being flight attendants than them being women. Um, but I don't really yeah. know. That's interesting. I think you have a point there. And uh, flight attendants are uh, sort of a unique, but also very diverse group. And uh, like you did, they undervalued and in the book also talks about like underestimated, woefully underestimated. Yes, and I think that's a good takeaway for today's airline executives, like underestimate flight attendants at your peril. <laughs> that is so true. Well, um, now this has been absolutely a delight and a complete treat. Uh, we hope to, if we can make schedules work, have you come do like a book club with our flight attendants. We're filling out interest. It seems like there's a lot of interest for that. It's just hard with flight attendants doing live events sometimes because their schedules are so wonky. So <laughs> always a problem getting flight attendants together. But yeah, I would love to. That would be really fun. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and um, your wisdom. And uh, and this book you've done is an incredible um, asset to our community and our history. And we absolutely love it. 
Thank you so much. That's just such a nice thing to hear. And I had such a great time talking with you both. We want to thank Nell for coming on the podcast and being so gracious with her time. It was so informative and we had a blast getting to know her, learning more about her book and drawing from her insight and knowledge. One of our base advocates had the great idea to hold a book club to discuss the book together. This would be held over Zoom and best of all, Nell has offered to join us. We are looking forward to making it happen over the next few weeks. If you are interested in joining us, please let us know. There'll be a form on the website and you could also reach out to us uh, on our social media channels. We will find a time that works for most schedules. Looking forward to hearing from you. That's why we vote my AFA. That's why we vote my AFA. Are you a new SkyWest flight attendant? Do you have questions you're afraid to ask? The Lifeline is here to help. Made up of experienced flight attendants available in real time to answer your everyday questions. Just visit lifelines.ooitstime.com or use the link on our Instagram or podcast bio. Greetings, flight attendants. Have you signed your SkyWest AFA authorization card yet? In order for us to be able to vote to establish our SkyWest flight attendant union, the majority of us, 50% plus one, must sign authorization card. Our union will provide us with job protections we do not have now and an enforceable contract containing improvements to pay and work rules that we vote to approve. Order your pre-stamp cards and get more information about what our union will look like at ooitstime.com. Don't delay, do it today.